There wasting my time. <laughs> wasting my time. John, don't record in a bad mood. You, you put me in a bad mood. That's the issue. The issue is not my bad right. mood. It's the fact that you just infuriate me on every level. <laughs> Let's talk about the movies, huh? Okay, Let's fine. talk about the Playmobil, the Playmobil movie. <laughs> or, as it was referred to in Mexico, El Movie de Playmobil. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Playmobil is a bigger deal in Europe. Or at least that's that's what I heard was the excuse for this movie existing because I don't know. Uh, sure, yeah, and it, not the fact that they could cheaply animate it in India with an army <laughs> of fifty million animators and just bilk parents who were convinced that it's oh it's just like the Lego Movie. My five year old won't care. <laughs> I mean, I would rather see the Connects movie before the Playmobil movie, honestly. Talking about nostalgia, and- I do I do vaguely remember the little mm-hmm. blue and orange robot. That was featured in the trailer, but other than that, I don't remember anything about Playmobil. There was no, like, story, there was no creativity to it. Wait, the robot in the Playmobil? Yeah, there was, like, this little red, uh, this little blue and orange Playmobil robot. It looked like R2-D2. Okay, you're going to have to send me a a picture of this. Okay. I don't recall this. I mean, you know, you you remember me and my robot toys when I was a child. (laughs) And into adulthood. But that's not important. What's important is... (laughs) Yes, what's important is that these movies fail terribly. Like, mm-hmm. I feel bad for the Playmobil movie. Obviously, it wasn't finished. It was probably rushed into production after the phenomenal success of the original Lego movie. And then five years later, Lego movie part two tanks. Mm-hmm. And then this now this Playmobil movie tanks. Um, well, I mean, they, I don't, the, again, it's hard to say that the market's oversaturated, but apparently three three movies is enough. Sure, fair enough. I, I think it is, especially like to rush out, to go out to the theater, especially when all this content is, is right there at our fingertips. I mean, how many streaming services are there now? Six? Oh, it's like, like 90 million. How the million. heck are theaters supposed to, yeah, how the heck are theaters supposed to compete? They can't. And that's why I want to talk about uh, Marriage Story, mm. <laughs> or as it was released in Mexico, <laughs> El Story de Marriage. <laughs> There's Greg again, that, that Spanish genius. Yes. <laughs> or genius del Espanol. I, I mean, now, I, I believe when streaming services were still a novelty, there may have been a rush to go see this uh, a particular movie like this. But now that we know that it'll live on the streaming service in perpetuity, mm-hmm. I don't think you and I have any compunction, Not uh, much less because of the content. We're, we're not exactly uh, <laughs> eager to visit a, see a, a marriage fail on, sc- uh, a, a marriage fail on screen. But uh, we also don't feel any urgency because we know that it'll be there, uh, unlike, say, a movie that only has a limited release window in theaters. No, but I do think there is a certain level, a certain aspect of uh, FOMO, because, you know, you go on Twitter and everyone's making memes out of it, everyone's talking about it, and you kind of feel like you're a little bit out of the loop, which I assume is a lot of what decides Netflix's programming slate, is they do want to be the... Uh, and this is also true of like you know HBO, or at least it was for the longest time. HBO really—it's not that they didn't care about ratings, what they cared more about was the buzz. Was our show the topic of conversation at the quote-unquote water cooler? Obviously, that's a kind of outdated uh, module, but there is something to be said about uh, um, some something that's culturally on everyone's lips. That's also why uh, Netflix has kind of slowly moved away from the binge model where they used to dump all their episodes out at once, because when you do a week-to-week model, that obviously keeps people invested for a longer amount of time. As we're seeing with The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus, I I suppose, although 
they they still release all episodes at once, right? Or like, for a majority of their shows, of, yes. But um, yeah. yeah, I there are a few. I I think as of recently, they've started doling out things weekly. Um, I know with this current season of Great British Bake Off, they did uh, each episode individually, like week to week. Well, that's also because they have a broadcast partner. Ah, okay. Right? Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I, I assume that. So they're also. extenuating circumstances. However, I I guess the the point I was trying to arrive at is uh, we are not eager to see a marriage story, not least of which because of, because of its content, but also because it's not uh, released in theaters. However, to tease later in the episode, mm-hmm. we will be talking about a movie that's currently in theaters. Yes. So and stay, it, stay tuned for that. And is doing opposite numbers of the Playmobil movie in terms of box office. Yeah, absolutely. Buffo. Buffo. Of, of course, yeah, of course I got a chance to see Frozen 2 and I'll, get, I'll have a chance to reveal <laughs> my side of the story. <laughs> Finally, play devil's advocate, yeah. Greg. Justify Frozen II for us. <laughs> I indeed I will, uh, because I want to compare it to the Playmobil movie, which I did see this weekend, and both are pretty similar in a lot of ways. They're about intrepid heroes going on an adventure, and I mean, stop me at any time because <laughs> I could go on for hours and hours about these two movies that I've surely seen, uh, both in theaters on the big screen, as which is the ideal of movies, how movies should be seen. Mm, yes, because movies are cinema after all. Yes, see, yeah. we're, we're 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 not just av- we're not just your average moviegoers. You see, we are film snobs, you and I, or at least if we're not there, we're aspiring to be. Hey, that's the premise of the podcast. <laughs> Yes, the idea is that uh, you and I have a lot to catch up on in terms of film canon, and so we look at movies every week, uh, at least one of us hasn't seen. We've got a real special treat, in in which case it's a, a particularly famous movie, I think, that neither you or I had seen. Mm-hmm. But going off its reputation, again, as, as 90s kids as we are, it's kind of a shame that we hadn't seen it yet, because it seemed like it was, again, one of those kind of cultural touch points that was on everybody's lips, at least for a while. One of those dorm room poster movies that, sadly, we, we just don't visit with a certain level of urgency. Yeah, oh yeah, this this film has had a fascinating life. Of course, we're talking <laughs> about uh, the, the very serious very timely, I'd say, maybe in, the, in this age. Well, like, like I said last week, sadly, Nazis never seem to leave history for some reason. No. <laughs> they never seem to truly go away. Um, we're, of course, talking about the Tony K directed Edward Norton starring American History X, or as they released it in Mexico. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> El Histoire uh, de, de Ex Americana. <laughs> Derek! Pervert, down! Jesus, Danny, what the fuck are you thinking? There's a black guy outside. He's breaking into your car. How long has he been there? I don't know. What's going on? Not right now, honey. How many? Danny, how many? One, I think. Is he strapped? Huh? Does he have a fucking gun, Danny? Man, I don't fucking know. Wait a second, wait a second. What the fuck is going on, Derek? Stay right here. Jesus! Stay right here. Wait a second, Derek, wait! Derek!
I was going to be. I don't know. I don't know. You're close enough. <laughs> you okay. aren't you on the IMDb page? You could check on IMDb. <laughs> I I'm on other resources. I I'm looking at uh, the full page ad that Tony K put out in the uh, Hollywood Reporter mm. denouncing this film, oh. as well as its distributor, New Line Cinemas, and its uh, New Line Cinema and its star Edward Norton. Mm. Well, it wouldn't be a classic uh, Edward Norton movie if there wasn't, you know, the star getting in the way. Come on, that's what makes an Edward Norton movie an Edward Norton movie is the backstage drama. Now we'll talk later if that's deserved, but um, let's let's kind of get to the maybe the I, I guess maybe the first the backstory behind this film the film itself the film itself and then maybe the broader cultural implications of it uh, all these years later mm-hmm. what is it twenty one years later yeah yeah uh, so to start I th- I think this was uh, we we should look at maybe the. 90s and the kind of genre that this film sits in. Um, it's not just a dramatic film. It, it's also, I think, shares a lot in common with the other inspirational school dramas mm. from, say, uh, the late 80s and early 90s. I'm, I'm speaking in particular of uh, Dangerous Minds or uh, also like uh, stories stories of the streets of L.A., mm. uh, Boys in the Hood and Juice. So I think it, it shares a lot in common with those. And... This kind of raises the stakes artistically by hiring uh, a noted documentarian, cinematographer, and crazy person named Tony <laughs> Kay. Um, now, hold on. I don't, unlike, yeah. you know, certain uh, Nazis, shall we say, I don't like to judge books by their cover. Now, going yeah. to I, <laughs> okay. again, going back to IMDb, though, when you uh, yeah. click on his profile <laughs> not, and you're I, greeted yes, with this I do not buckled-eyed man with a gigantic beard. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, no, no. I, I encourage everybody to, you're right, John, let's not judge a book by its cover. Now let's take our big sip of coffee as we look at a picture of Tony <laughs> K. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a bit of a kook. <laughs> and uh, yes. given his response to the release of this movie, uh, maybe there's some truth to that. <laughs> Although there, there's some also truth in the difficulty of working with uh, the film star, Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Yes. So already this film had a kind of troubled history, um, had, I think, tackled some subject matter that people weren't really kind of used to in the 90s. Um I know now it has this <laughs> reputation as kind of the end of history, the Roaring Nineties. Everything was great, um, but well, there I was mean, also this it's also of, taking place in L.A. Obviously, where uh, uh, yeah. a few certain events you might remember from the Nineties were taking place that kind of fell along race lines. Uh, are we familiar with the one Rodney King? Yeah, so there, there's um, touching. It touches on that, and so I guess there's no like kind of escaping that kind of like thought or those kind of thoughts from our minds Mm -hmm. and we also generally before we start talking about a film we look at its um bona fides like what what exactly helps it earn that classic status and this movie really has two things left um dorm room posters (laughs) and the imdb top 250 yes Um, which otherwise otherwise it's kind of fallen out of critical favor yeah which is probably the worst laurel you could possibly achieve the top 250 (laughs) list on imdb which i think joker is currently sitting at like what number 10 it's really it's really quite embarrassing Yeah, you, you will we'll adjudicate whether it's uh, better than Avengers Endgame. But um, <laughs> let's get into our, our first impressions itself. What did you think upon your first viewing of American History X? Well, given that this movie is 21 years old, I think the only way I can describe it is using a, a common parlance, which is to say the kids would call this movie extra. It is... Um, <laughs> You can tell that Tony Kale cut his te- or Tony K cut his teeth doing music videos because this movie is mm-hmm. 
it's it's a bit over the top let's be honest <laughs> um, oh yeah there are certain times where i thought like who directed this Zack snyder because it's so much slow motion this movie would only be 30 minutes if it wasn't shot in slow motion and then oh yeah <laughs> and then you know very tasteful uses of black and white to indicate you know when stuff is happening in the past and mm like use of like classical music and opera it's it's a bit over the top which is i think to its detriment because there are some times where it does get pretty nuanced especially in how the portrayal of how young people do get radicalized like where they are in their life and and the kind of influences that are being exerted on them uh i don't think sadly it it gets that nuance when it comes to being de-radicalized um even though it spends a good chunk of that movie on the of the movie with Edward Norton as his time in prison when he does eventually, you know, turn a new leaf. But yeah. um, there are a, a few kind of very affecting moments, and obviously uh, there's a lot of uh, violence in this movie as well, which I think is done pretty tastefully, or at least uh, done in a way that doesn't <laughs> glamorize, or uh, well, I guess, I guess we can get to the we'll, we'll talk about the scene later, the kind of, the, yeah. the mise-en-scene of the, of the middle <laughs> act, shall we say. Alright, listen up. We need to open our eyes. There's over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. This state spent three billion dollars last year on services for those people who had no right to be here in the first place. Three billion dollars. Four hundred million dollars just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrant criminals who only got into this country because the fucking INS decided it's not worth the effort to screen for convicted felons. Who gives a shit? Our government doesn't give a shit. Our border policy is a joke. So is anybody surprised that south of the border they're laughing at us? Laughing at our laws? Yeah. Every night, thousands of these parasites stream across the border like some fucking pinata exploded. (laughs) Don't laugh! There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. It's about decent, hardworking Americans falling through the cracks and getting the shaft because their government cares more about the constitutional rights of a bunch of people who aren't even citizens of this country. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's no escaping how kind of melodramatic this movie is. And I feel like if you accept those kind of like limitations or kind of set your mind towards that mode... Like, say, if you compare it with those other somewhat melodramatic uh, uh, gangland dramas or inspirational school teacher movies, mm-hmm. uh, you could see, like, how effective it is as that. Um, when you try to compare it to a great piece of art, for instance, you have these limiters. Like, um, I'm glad you mentioned the opening shot. It feels like a somewhat like a student film. It's, it's again, this uh, rousing score over a, over a beach shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it... It it kind of sets you to something of something of a, of an amateurish production, and then I also see that in terms of um, th- there are two key scenes at the beginning that kind of show you what where this the film is going. Uh, the first is uh, where we look at our, I guess, hero of the film. Well, he's not really the hero. The heart is more his younger brother, but he's the focus of the film, and that's Edward Norton's character Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see the event that kind of kicks off the whole story, and it's this horrible act of violence that. Uh, that lands Derek in prison. Mm-hmm. Following that is another flashback where he's he's on the he's on, he's playing outdoor summer hoops <laughs> in Ven- in Venice Beach, and the two scenes are shot exactly the same mm-hmm. with like this roving camera cutting, and it's kind of like it's like a Michael Bay film in that like everything is treated with the same gravity. 
and so like and you can kind of see like how it, it makes it feel like a little bit like ridiculous or you have no choice but to laugh at it because you don't really believe it mm-hmm. during that basketball scene there, there's so much quick cutting going on but um and the camera's moving around so much it's jarring when we cut back to like a static shot of uh Derek's family in the stands, like cheering, like standing up, going woo, <laughs> and it's clear the direction was like now just cheer, and we'll insert it later or yeah. something. I mean, it's also the most ridiculous and over, you know, unbelievable scene in the whole movie. The fact that a bunch of white boys <laughs> beat a bunch of black <laughs> <laughs> athletes. Also, one of them being yeah. uh, uh, Ethan Supley. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but uh, he's a pretty oh, yeah. you know famous character actor. He's lost a ton of weight, but yeah, in the '90s he. He was kind of hired a lot because of his enormous girth, and obviously that's yeah. kind of the butt of the joke of of his character in this movie. Um, that and yeah. the fact that he is uh, extremely unnuanced. He is literally like the most, and that's the other kind of problem with this movie. I, I it doesn't shy away from the the matter of fact that these are kind of young impressionable kids who are kind of like sucked into this world of neo Nazism, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like they're not nuanced enough that it doesn't show them their lives beyond any of this Nazi-related paraphernalia. Every time we go into one of their, room, their rooms, they've got swastikas all over the place. They've got, you know, the Iron Birds and all sorts of Nazi memorabilia, and it's just like, really? They don't have, like, any interest in anything not Nazi-related? Like, come on, like, so no one has a Super Nintendo? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like you said, I, I like that you picked up on that word, nuance. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it's not, like... This movie, I believe, was based on a real person, not not their exact experiences, but inspired by a real reformed Nazi. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's inspired by a true story, it doesn't feel like a true story when it doesn't feel like characters have an internal life at all. Like, again, they're only defined by this one interest in neo-Nazism. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what we see in at least the characters in the writing early on. Like, all, all they talk, they only talk in epithets or, like, again, white power. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all they, that seems to be, like, all they're consumed by. Um, which I think is, dramatically, the idea is to get across the point and how serious this is and how they're defined by their hate and, and how, like, um, how, again, how as audiences we're supposed to, like, immediately cringe at that. Like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't cringe if um, a character was just kind of, like, a halfway Nazi or the drama <laughs> wouldn't be as effective in that case. Exactly. Um, but I, I do want to push back on one thing. Evan Souple is not just uh, cast for his look and his girth. <laughs> He's also cast for his talent. And even though he does, as you said, like has to play a character who's solely defined by his, his hatred of every racial minority, mm-hmm. he does lend a lot of, uh, I think, his, of incredible acting talent to make that role believable. And that leads me to Edward Norton, who is incredible in this movie. <laughs> like, in spite of all the operatics like going on around him, like he, like he's absolutely magnetic on this uh, film, and I think deserving of like having every shot practically focus on him. Uh, and yeah, and it's a great point. And again, it goes along with the story quite well because the story is about wayward youth being sucked in, being hypnotized by this neo-Nazi messaging, mm-hmm. and who better to kind of perform that, to make that kind of so alluring than someone who does have so much charisma. And Edward Norton really sells it. He does, a, like, sadly, a really good job. Um, well, I think also he can internalize that because we see he's, he's magnetic as this uh, violent person, Derek, at the opening of the film. Mm-hmm. But about 30 minutes in, we finally see him come home from 
prison and now it's like he's completely all internalized it he's not acting at, he's not histrionic anymore now it's completely internalized and also completely believable mm-hmm. like so even if you have like cheesy lines about you know, the the mom is dying from cancer and the and the <laughs> and his younger sister who's who's described as like a straight a student like literally every scene of her has she has her nose like buried in a book <laughs> <laughs> or you know in spite of those like kind of unbelievable touches that kind of take us out, that remind us that we're watching a movie and take us out of, uh, let's say, the realism of mm-hmm. it. Like, you totally believe Edward Norton throughout the whole picture. Yeah, but obviously he's not really, like you said, he's not really the protagonist, or at least the main character. The main character belongs to his younger brother, Danny Vineyard, Edward Furlong, mm-hmm. one Edward Furlong, who um, definitely has the less showier role, which is why I think he kind of, like, fades into the background. But that's also kind of the point. He's meant to be representative of, like, a blank slate. Again, talking about those wayward youths. Like, so yeah. all he really cares about is living up to his brother's ideal because his brother is a superstar. And obviously this comes into conflict when, you know, for the first half of the movie, it's like, my brother's the best neo-Nazi imaginable. I'm going to be the best neo-Nazi imaginable. <laughs> and then when they, he gets out of the clink, then all of a sudden, like, again, he, he still admires him, but he's completely changed his tune. So I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of the story is the fact that our protagonist is kind of a tabula rasa, and we're kind of interested in seeing uh, the older brother as kind of like the char- the more charismatic, showy role. I mean, what did you think of Edward Furlong? Do you think he, you know, turned into a good performance, even though it's definitely not something <laughs> that's going to end up on an Oscar reel? Yes, I yes, I think he's very natural because, as you as you said, he's a tabula rasa. He doesn't have to. Like he, he doesn't have to shoot to the raft or shout to the rafters when um, his teacher assigns him an essay. Mm. I guess the other framework that we should explain is um, American History X is is what uh, Edward James almost and um, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, inspirational teacher, has assigned him. Um, he's going to do one essay about his brother, who's who's obviously you know playing armchair psychologist, is the one who's leading him down this wayward path towards neo Nazism and white supremacy. And so he assigns him this course, and, you know, I think he's very natural when he's like, come on, man, or, like, kind of, he's, he only has to listen, really, mm-hmm. and, I, you know, it goes, let's, let's use that, that, that old, but uh, that great axiom, uh, acting is reacting, and I think he does a good job in terms of, like, internalizing and, and cutting away to just him observing the action, because, yeah, his character's basically the conduit for us, um, even though he's he's kind of the lead character. He's not really the active participant. Instead, he's the follower of the brother, and and we're wondering whether he's going to follow in his brother's footsteps or not. Exactly, and it's Um, kind of his fate that we care about, or at least that's as mm -hmm. an audience member. And should we talk about the ending, or should we talk about kind of more of the specifics of the plot? Because there, well, yeah, let's let's talk about um, what path his brother's going to lead lead him mm-hmm. on. Because obviously, in those black and white flashback scenes, he's very charismatic. Yeah. Um, there's one scene in which they, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, rough up a convenience store that at one point was. Uh, had white owners, but now they, they're mad that it has that it's now a uh, Korean owned concern, employing um, presumably cheap immigrant labor. Mm-hmm. So they just they just trash the place instead of rob from it, which seemed odd to me. <laughs> but um, you know, Ed Norton gives a great like monologue before that. Yeah, and um, yeah, we could kind of see that he's a uh, that he's very charismatic then. Um, instead, let's let's get to the act of violence that um, lands him in jail. Huh? Yeah, so um, again, that over-the-top, we only get a, a piece of it at the very beginning. It kind of teases you, but um, yeah. there are a, a, a rival gang 
that plans ha- has eyes on his car and they plan to steal it. Um, Edward Furlong mm-hmm. warns Edward Norton before any of this happens, and it turns into like a kind of shootout in a in a suburban neighborhood. It's kind of it's it's meant to kind of feel out of place. The fact that you know like it's a it's gangland violence, but in a very kind of quiet, placid suburb. Um, what you know these these uh, these hooligans get away except for one mm-hmm. who gets shot and then Edward Norton uh, forces him to bite the curb so to speak which yeah. <laughs> that became kind of kind of a weird meme for a while I vaguely remember um, and it's weird because you know the cops arrive right afterwards and it goes all slow motion again over the top and he kind of it's funny it's it's mirroring back to like an older discussion or that they had in the movie you know Edward Norton obviously he part of his charisma is he plays all the classic you know Nazi talking points it's like these illegal immigrants they're dirty they're gross mm-hmm. and at one point he talks about you know like police brutality and is like I respect the police authority you know sadly these blacks don't and <laughs> it's kind of funny this is the same kind of scene or this scene is mirroring it where he kind of gives himself away to the police and the way it's shot it's 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 so creepy the performance because on the one hand you can tell that he kind of sees himself as a martyr like oh mm-hmm. he's 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 acted in defense of the cause but from an audience perspective it's just so jarring like the look on his face and the way he's like he kind of is like trying to frame this as heroic even though it's completely not so i thought it was a pretty affecting scene just kind of the weird irony of it all get down on your knees right now There, there's some things like now that I remember it, like there's some things that I like about it, like the the terrible act of violence when he curb stomps the guy is is shown in full, mm-hmm. like like we kind of saw or at least talked about in the Irishman, like the the violence is shown for what it is. It doesn't really glamorize it in a way. However, there are some kind of ridiculous touches that pull me out of it because um, Ed, uh, Edward Furlong's character runs out of the house and says, no, don't <laughs> yeah, do exactly. it, Brother Derek. <laughs> and, and then falls to his knees like when it happens. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but you're right, in terms of the look that Edward Norton gives on his face and it's then, again, done beautifully in, in black and white photography and in slow motion, uh, like you could see, kind of see on his face the, the satisfaction in this terrible act of violence that he just carried out. And it makes the drama that much more effective. <laughs> um, Especially in contrast with his brother's like sadness, having just witnessed this horrible crime <laughs> and and death right in front of him, so that he can, in spite of that, he still like idolizes his brother, mm-hmm. and he's still, as you said, like seen as a seen as a um, a god to this neo Nazi gang in in California. Um, but this is and 
so there's a party in which they welcome him back, but it's clear that, you know, Edward Norton's character, having grown out his hair a little bit, covering up all his uh, tattoos mm-hmm. with a long white Clearly shirt. Clearly has no interest in hanging out with Seth anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, and just trying to get out of the life. Um, and I mean, I think this is the weakest aspect of the movie is we get flashbacks, again, in black and white and lots of slow motion yeah. of his time in prison. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the only thing that kind of de-radicalizes him is he actually gets a black friend. Good for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so after this party, it, it kind of goes awry, and they, they turn him in, him immediately. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like we have to kind of like fast forward through the drama, because it's a melodrama. Like we've, got, we've got points to hit, and so... like. We can't show a lot of nuanced scenes of him, like you know, actually interacting with these characters. Instead, we have to have one scene with his girlfriend. It's like you've changed. Like <laughs> screw you. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the other characters are like, "Wait, she said screw him." Yeah, I believe her. <laughs> screw him. And he punches the old guy who's in charge of the Nazis, who's clearly trying to. Yeah. yeah so, Stacy Keach, I think, great performance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is when he finally reveals what de-radicalized him. And as you said, it's two things: one, finally making a black friend, mm-hmm. and then two. I'm just going to make this horrible joke. I'm sure you had the same joke. I'm just going to... Trigger warning. Sorry. <laughs> Cover your ears. This is terrible, uh, but it's it's the joke we have to make. He gets the racism fucked right out of him. Mm. <laughs> he gets gang raped um, by his... Uh, what are his white supremacist cohorts mm-hmm. um, and, in prison. And somehow that that's what gives him the realization. It's like, oh, we're not on the same team. Like, you know, I don't want to be defined by this hatred exactly and, and terrible acts of violence anymore now that now that he's the victim of one uh, so well again like the whole reason why this whole nazi cabal exists is because it gives a, a space for white people who feel disaffected and kind of disenchanted and so but the fact that as soon as you turn on the group everyone turns on you as well it's like yeah not so much of a family and obviously he learns that in prison first and then it's only repeated yeah. as soon as he gets out and he rejects them he he's already been rejected by them so i think he also makes the point that it's like he he observes the neo-nazis in jail and he kind of realizes that there's not they're not really true believers and that it's all kind of bullshit um and obviously once you get raped by one of your fellow uh (laughs) neo-nazis that also will probably prove that it's all bullshit so Yeah. yeah And earlier he railed against, oh, there's no such thing as uh, systematic oppression and, and uh, uh, affirmative action is just a, a handout mm-hmm. for black people. And then, oh my gosh, my black friend got a tougher sentence than I did yeah. for committing a, a lighter crime? Who knew? But I do like <laughs> that at, there. there's like one scene in particular where uh, Eddie Furlong does mention like, you know, like it didn't just start with neo-Nazi stuff. And again, there's that kind of casual, like affirmative action. That doesn't seem right to me. Does that seem right to you? Like, again, <laughs> like that's what I, I, the most nuanced aspect of this movie is kind of showing how this kind of like the seed of extremism is planted. And I do kind of appreciate yeah. that. I just wish the rest of the movie was like a little as nuanced, you know, instead of like yeah. this over the top, you know, operatic. Yeah, it feels like the truth it's capturing is in, as you said, these these kids are impressionable. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these kind of topics are, are run through, like say, a exaggerated media. But there's also this uh, the the material interests because we see that they grow up in a nice uh, kind of big suburban house with a white picket fence, mm-hmm. you know, all classic Americana. But then after their father dies, at what they presume is the hand of a of a black gangbanger mm-hmm. um that just feeds their resentment more and then we see materially their their lives are also diminished now they have to move into a tiny like one bedroom apartment in venice mm-hmm. they see like the 
their old uh, mainstay grocery store has also like been taken over. So yeah, you can see how like material interests feed this resentment and cause us to look for scapegoats in uh, in racial minorities or, or or other like kind of like so-called like enemies <laughs> of our uh, of our of our economic status mm-hmm. when when really we could say it's it's the one percent and the elite but uh, again <laughs> capitalism is never the problem greg come on i know i know i'm sorry i haven't read enough marx to really <laughs> explain this well but oh just watch philosophy tube come on <laughs> you yeah, get the you get right. the brass tacks you get the bullet points <laughs> yeah all right so i want to know something what the, what the fuck landed you in here you didn't kill anybody you're too skinny for a gangbanger Oh, ain't that a bitch, all right? Don't judge a book by its cover, man. I can throw these things, all right? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Whatever, whatever. All right? Come on, come on, what'd you do? Come on, man, it's none of your business, all right? It's embarrassing, all right? It's none of your goddamn business. Come on, what? Come on, Embar- everybody in here is embarrassed. You think nobody in here got away with anything? What'd you do? Look, man, I, I, I stole the TV, all right? So you stole a TV? What's embarrassing about that? I stole a TV from a store that was right next door to a donut shop, all right? I run out, the store owner's running behind me yelling, bam, I run into three cops, all right? <laughs> oh, see, see, I told you it was embarrassing, you laugh. Wait a sec, wait a sec. That doesn't make sense. No, you didn't get, you didn't get six years for stealing a TV, man. Come on. I go in the store, I come out, the police officer grabs my arm, the TV falls on his foot and breaks it. They said I threw the TV at the office. Assault. Six years. Come on, tell the truth. You chucked it at him or something. Like I said, I came out of the store, he grabbed my arm, it fell on his foot. So that that part rings of truth. Mm-hmm. What I what I don't like is that nuance isn't extended to women and our characters of color. That is absolutely true, yes. Because yeah, he's his friend, whom I, whose name I can't even remember. I don't think it's ever revealed. They don't even mention each other's names to each other. Um, um, I'm looking yeah, at the IMDb. It's Lamont. Lamont is his Lamont, uh, his okay. uh, black friend that he gets in cop. Yeah, right. in yeah. Blink. yeah. But picture the the stereotype of a of a of a charismatic black friend, and you've got it. You've got a portrait of Lamont. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, he's he's fast talking, jive talking, as it were. Um, and so, granted, he's very accepting of uh, Edward Norton's character, even though he is, even though he knows he's a neo-Nazi. Uh, but again, like he's he's still the same, like kind of like white person whisperer, like, still that <laughs> sense of support. Yeah, neat. Like the black character yeah. only exists to help the white character become a better person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, classic Hollywood. Yeah. And also, although we get a portrait of this neo-Nazi gang, as far as like any other person of color in venice at this time particularly um say when in the crypts of the bloods or whatever like characters they're not given any like kind of economic interest or anything (laughs) they are just shown as the violent gangbangers like the the ones who who come over to derek's place to jack his car they're the ones who lost their basketball court Mm -hmm. like that's that's all that they lost and now they want to enact revenge um another character comes back to enact revenge uh, against uh, against Danny, seemingly out of nowhere. We'll get to that. Yeah. But um, again, like characters of color aren't really given that same that same nuance. Nor are the women, uh, particularly Derek and Danny's mom, mm-hmm. because in a re- revealing scene later, we see that uh, the roots of Danny's neo-Nazism is the admiration of his brother for 
Derek, it's in admiration of his father, who kind of talks in these like kind of um, like kind of racially coded ways, like oh, like affirmative action, just a handout, yeah. and we kind of see the roots of of of, of Danny's uh, or excuse me, Derek's bigotry until at the dinner table he uses the N word openly <laughs> in in full view of his younger son, younger daughter, baby daughter, and wife. <laughs> yeah. And the wife never like raises an objection to this. So either she she earnestly believes all the same thing, all the terrible racist things that her husband is saying, mm-hmm. or uh, again she's she's just seen as as weak and callow. And the, can't face yeah, up the women to, are uh, definitely portrayed as very complacent in this movie. Like yeah. one of the other kind of big scenes, the, the big kind of over dramatic scene is we get a dinner scene. This is after he's been radicalized. They have a, a, a dinner with beautiful Elliot Gould. Who you know? You think this is a cause for celebration, a mitzvah? But sadly, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they went to Central Casting. Get me the most Jewish man you could find. <laughs> but uh, again, it turns into a big fight, and you know he's not only reveal. It's, it's it's interesting, at least from my perspective, like the way the scene kind of devolves because again, he's making all those you know classic Nazi talking points that kind of sound reasonable to a to a. a, a or not reasonable. It's like now we know what those that coded language and those dog whistles are. But eventually, it yeah. kind of devolves, and he starts calling him, you know, the K word. I guess the, a kike, basically. He yeah. like eventually yeah. explodes. But then also, he kind of reveals like the level of fascism and misogyny that also comes along with being a Nazi. Believe it or not, um, you know, yeah. he interrupts his sister. He starts like you know saying that she's not allowed to speak and starts stuffing her face with the food and stuff like that. It's all yeah, yeah. acts out violently. And again, like the mother can only like watch horrified. She she speaks out, but it's like physically. I mean, I kind of understand like the whole point, like of <laughs> the whole point is that Eddie, Edward Norton has his shirt off the whole time, obviously, to reveal his swastika, but also she knows that he's a imposing figure, and obviously that's important to Nazis. They love the idea of the Ubermensch as well, so the fact that he is like a physically yeah. domineering presence, you know, a manly presence, so that's definitely an undercurrent that I feel like is, again, would have been nice if they explored it a little bit more, but that's just not the movie we have, is it? <laughs> no, yeah, it, I guess you could, you have to infer that you know, um, the mother is very docile and can't either t- divorce her terrible, bigoted husband mm-hmm. or kick out um, her terrible, bigoted son from the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we kind of have to infer that. The movie's not really telling us that. It, it rather, and it, it does focus solely on the young men here, the young white men, which I think is also why maybe it has a place in the IMDb Top <laughs> 250, which is a list that is biased towards young white men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to say, as a, a, I won't say a young white man, but you know, I, I found it compelling from that point. I do wish it could be a little bit more nuanced, as you said, a little bit less uh, histrionic and operatic, yeah. um, and especially like at the end, because I feel like this is where I do want to really give the ending the credit because I was genuinely surprised. Because again, seriously, yeah, you didn't I, see that coming? I, no, I was. Come on, John. He, he, Danny's voiceover might as well be from the grave. I, guess. I knew either he's dead or Derek's dead. Oh. <laughs> well, no, I that's I, I assume. Like again, it's building you up to think that Derek's the target. You know, he's got a he's got mm-hmm. a target on his back, not just from the uh, other gangsters who he you know, like obviously want revenge for the killing he did, but also all the neo Nazis that he just betrayed. So it's like the whole idea is that oh, Derek's now going to be a proper martyr for his brother to kind of carry on his legacy of actually being like a decent person. But no, like Danny's life is cut short, 
And I was kind of genuinely surprised by that. I th- I thought like for sure, you know, because also like this is a like at this point this is this project is basically an Edward Norton vanity pick. So obviously he would be the one that dies at the end. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could if you're playing nine dimensional chess or something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if I felt a little cheated because Danny dies at the hand of a fellow high schooler, a black student, who earlier they had like a. Not even like a fight. Mm. Like um, they they're picking um, they're bullies. Like three black students are bullying a young man. Um, Edward Norton sticks up for them, and I guess they know that he's a neo-Nazi, and and they and he has this hatred for towards mm. them. However, I don't see how that leads to him then taking a gun into school and plugging him in the chest. Yeah. Um, I guess speaking of violence, I mean, I don't know. He, it's a t- like the um, earlier curb stomping scene. It's it's outrageously graphic. Yeah. I mean, there's blood all over the bathroom. But uh, and but the effective, really dramatic and compelling moments in my head are kind of uh, pushed up against the really ridiculous moments. Like then Derek like immediately rushes back to the bat, like uh, rushes through the police oh, line yeah. into the bathroom and like has to cradle his his um, his slain brother. <laughs> um, and I don't think Edward Norton had a lot of takes from, for that because it it seemed like the least convincing part of his performance yeah. is is crying at the end. Yeah. Um, it felt a little like rushed and and again just unearned. Mm. So and again I saw it also coming a million miles away. But I'm also a very savvy. Uh, oh la di da! Toot your own horn, yeah. why don't you? <laughs> yeah. I I thought I, I I I I'm not going to defend the ending. Um, also, yeah. it, again, like it also. Is kind of a dark ending because it shows no sign of reconciliation. Like just like his father before yeah. him, he's at the, he dies at the hands of a black man. So it's like, what does that tell you? Like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> is that going to lead Derek back well, to Nazism? I believe. Yeah. Well, it, funny you mention that because I believe that was Tony K's original intention. Mm. Like, yeah, I think if he had his way with the cut, he was going to either film, which I believe either Edward Norton shot and refused to have in the final cut, or refused to actually film. Uh, following that, there was going to be a scene of Derek looking at himself in the mirror, and he was going to shave his head again, mm. like a you know, a <laughs> God forgive me, I'm back to the old me, yeah, mm, like, okay. and that would have shown like the this cycle of violence or something. Derek, get out of my way! All right, all right, get out of my way! All right, 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 It feels like unearned. It feels like a, like oh the the black people are just violent by nature. We yeah, but it's or both sidesism yeah. as well. Like you know, it's yeah. like well you know like yeah, yeah. The ending sadly does not work. Even though I was kind of surprised. Um, well, I mean, we've we've been critical, I think, but overall, I still say very effective, 
melodrama. Mm-hmm. I use that word very intentionally. Yeah. Like you have to be in the right mindset. This is very exaggerated, a, a little ridiculous, but I feel like it's, it's heart is in the right place. Yeah, that's and exactly how I was going to describe of, it. it. It's hard is in the yeah. right place. Like, obviously, we can't have enough stuff being critical of Nazis these days. So, <laughs> yeah. And while the filmmaking doesn't lend a lot of honesty to the story, where it does lies in the performances, particularly Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Yes, does a great yeah. job. And Avery Brooks. Mm-hmm. Avery Brooks. Let's give him some credit. We didn't mention. Him oh right yeah, right. let's give him some credit. Yeah, because yeah. I, I felt like he he was. Well, um, he's got a very he's got a very like you said very basic part, like the stern teacher who's going to give you a talking to, yeah. but you're going to be better for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not lent. Uh, like his scenes, like it feel like rehearsed. Mm. Like he's the one who's. It, it's kind of a very performative and showy uh, performance. Yep, yeah, I'm going to say performance <laughs> again. Um, and one scene in particular, he goes to the police station, and it's like the police chief talks, and then the teacher talks. It's like they rehearsed it somehow yeah. or something. Like it doesn't lend a lot of honesty, but he's he's very convincing and and lends a lot of gravity to the picture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, great performance by him too. Yeah. Great performances yeah. all around. Yeah, even by the dad from Boy Meets World. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, good times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, we're not promising a good time at the movie. Mm. We're talking we're promising some good bits. Yeah. Some a uh, fine film, maybe maybe not worthy of being included among the top 250 of all time. I mean, it's no Avengers. Endgame, it's no Joker, let me tell you that much. Okay. That movie's yeah. deep, bro. <laughs> Movie's so cool. Every movie on the IMDb Top 250 is so cool. But overall, pretty good. Uh, five bags of popcorn. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, I guess this we've we've ended the 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 entree portion. I guess we should move along yeah. to the uh, the dessert, shall we? Yeah. Speaking of good times, <laughs> let's talk about a recent release mm-hmm. for our spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes. Saves us a lot of trouble, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So, guess who's thankful now that they missed this movie over uh, Thanksgiving? Mm, it would have been more the theaters were less. We, we, Greg, again, you with all that sweet, sweet FOMO, you have to like get on top of it immediately. And now we're a week behind, and now no one cares. Everyone's done talking about it. Nope, <laughs> nope. The theaters are less full. Um, Golden Globe nominate. As we record this, the Golden Globe nominations just came out. Um, this film earned some nominations, so. I, th- I think it'll stay in the zeitgeist. I think this this episode will uh, endure for years to come because <laughs> we're talking about knives out, <laughs> knives out. I guess actually, yeah, it was better that we waited a week because now again, it's it's it, it hasn't had a humongous drop off in terms of box office numbers. So it's actually it's got some legs. This movie's got some legs, yeah. baby. Also, more people are seeing it, and so we're gonna have a spoiler filled discussion. Yes. So. Again, kids, cover your ears. If you don't want to know any of the intricacies of this murder mystery, please uh, well, let's just shut off now and and subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, wherever <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's at least talk no spoilers for a bit. Um, yeah, okay. I fine. do want to give a little content, war- not content warning, but I do want to mention the one thing about this movie that I can only say without spoiling it is that it is not a straightforward whodunit. And I think no. that the advertising is a little disingenuous that they've been advertising it that way. I, I don't say disingenuous because the film actually opens that Oh, way. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, so obviously, it's playing with film, that trope, but yeah. at its heart, it's not that movie. Because, no, I guess this is kind of a spoiler alert, the game is given away in the first 15 minutes. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so what we're talking about is the death of a very famous mystery author. Mm-hmm. This kind of locked room mystery. It looks like he's committed suicide, um, kind of um, cut his own throat with a knife. Again, knives out. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> and all of his, it's, it's the night after a family, which he's cut them out of the will. They all have a motive to, uh, to kill him or silence him in some way. That's, that's how it's introduced. But really, our protagonist of the movie is not the detective played by uh, Daniel Craig. It's the help, mm-hmm. um, a young nurse um, of unknown origin. The family can't get that right. <laughs> That's my favorite recurring joke is that yeah. they're, like every time they bring her up, it's always in the context of her being an immigrant, and they just can't yeah. seem to get right the country she's actually from. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe, uh, yeah, they say she's from Cuba, Brazil, <laughs> Peru, Ecuador. <laughs> so she's, she's really who we see the, see the movie through, and as you said, it's not a whodunit, but like, how does she get out of it? Because she, even though she's a very caring nurse for what is a, a very genial, like, uh, happy old man. That's the one kind of subversion of the trope that I liked. Because in most murder mysteries, it's like an it's like a an old crone or an old like a hole that you don't mind has died. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but here it's like a it it's a genuinely nice old man and. and yeah, you could see you're a little bit motiv- more motivated to see say justice done, but it's not really a whodunit because she she inadvertently gives him the wrong medicine, and he's doomed and ends up indeed taking his own life. And now it the the tension in the movie is whether she's going to get found out because exactly of that. it becomes more of a cat and mouse game. And yeah. even though Benoit Blanc, the detective of the piece, isn't really a bad guy, we really don't because we know the full context. We don't really want him to find her or kind of bring her to justice. And what a, uh, one of my other favorite parts about the movie is the fact that uh, mm. Benoit Blanc, as played by Daniel Craig, <laughs> he's, he's got the classic kind of Columbo thing going, or at least for the second half of the movie he does, because when he first enters the scene, he's very uh, enigmatic. You know, he's like in the, mm. he's in the background, he's in the shadows, because he's been hired by a mysterious person, and he's not quite sure what's going on, but, it, you know, you can see the gears turning, and then at the halfway mm-hmm. point where he still it doesn't appear to have figured anything out, he's just like, you can kind of see him losing his marbles a bit. Even his metaphors are like kind of losing yeah. their luster. <laughs> he's like, this case is like a donut, and it's missing its hole. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you re- like, um, one of my favorite pieces of trivia about American Psycho is the fact that Willem Dafoe plays a detective, and for every one of his scenes, they did it three ways. As if he does know he's a killer, mm-hmm. that he doesn't know the kill- that he's a killer, or that he's suspicious that he's the killer. And so they edit all three together, so you're, never, you're always quite guessing. And so it's the same mm-hmm. thing here, where it's like Benoit Blanc, even though an extremely uh, compelling character, you never really know how much he really knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's it's fascinating from that point, and I think kind of the height of the movie is um, she recruits uh, he recruits uh, the young Marta, um, who's again the the real uh, perpetrator of this crime or this supposed crime, mm-hmm. um, to be as he says her Watson. So he she has to trail him all the time, mm-hmm. and, and he's with her as he's with her, the house, and he's with him every step of when he's actually finding clues as well, and also like exactly. <laughs> Kind of, you know, not really obstructing the whole investigation, but kind of getting in the way <laughs> purposefully. Yeah, and 
again, I like the points when there are like obvious clues right in front of them, like uh, her footprints on a muddy path, or um, the, the the ladder, or not the ladder, but the the vine yeah. uh, uh, apparatus that um, broke when she had to climb up to the third story window, mm-hmm. and the dog like retrieves it, <laughs> like he's playing absentmindedly playing fetch with the dog, and he doesn't know that it's a key piece of evidence. Mm-hmm. Like that's really the height of the movie. Um, but again, adjust your expectations because it's not really a murder mystery until. I'd say the second half when the plot gets a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And this is when, even though I was really enjoying myself, I was reminded of the limitations of the murder mystery because every because, because it's not a traditional murder mystery, all of the uh, family members with their uh, deep, dark motives to off their father figure or their father or father-in-law, um, mm-hmm. they're all pushed to the background. Yeah, and um, I mean, great. Though they it's all they're all some, uh, even though they're all great performances, all done by great actors. You're right. We all know they're kind of well. I mean, I, that's the other kind of interesting game the the movie's playing. They're all technically innocent, quote unquote, but they're not innocent people. Yeah, and like the title, <laughs> yeah. like the title implies, as soon as you know, poor Chris Plummer bites it. You know, the knives really come out, and their true personalities are yeah. kind of uh, revealed. One of the kind of interesting things in the movie is. The fact that, like, again, it kind of gives the game away immediately. The movie opens with our introduction to all these characters, and again, the kind of the interview that they're doing and the lies they're telling, but also the kind of truth behind it. But also in those kind of flashbacks, mm-hmm. we get them from their perspective. So one of the weird things about the movie, and kind of what if I had any criticism for it, I wish it kind of played a little bit more with the perspective from the characters as opposed to like, oh, the camera is showing us the objective truth. Because there's one scene very early on where it's like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is getting interviewed and she's remembering her being at the side of her father when the cake is served. And then Mm -hmm. later when Michael Shannon is getting interviewed, he pictures himself next to, you know, Christopher Plummer as he's getting his cake served. So I wish there was a little more ambiguity from from that perspective, like the memories, like how our memories kind of play tricks on us and how all these characters kind of see themselves as the hero, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which just goes to show yeah. how kind of delusional they are and how selfish they truly are. Yeah, so that's that's my my only overall criticism is overall, as you said, there's no not it's not the ambiguity, but this is clearly a cl- a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's only playing with kind of like one version of events, and what ultimately happens is that yes, there's this plot. There was this plot concocted to off Christopher Plummer's character and used to blame Marta, mm-hmm. um, even though she's wound up being exonerated and it is ruled a suicide. Um, but there's still this plot um, from a devious character. I guess I won't say who. I guess I don't have to. No, yeah. But the idea is, yeah, but the idea is that um, she gets off scot-free and then gets uh, this character's um, huge, huge fortune um, at the expense of all his terrible, spoiled family members. Um, <laughs> and so that's that's the kind of conclusion that we're working towards and we're supposed to you know cheer that um this has happened but i i couldn't help but i couldn't help but be like think of the movie that could have been if it had played a little bit more ambiguously with as you said perspective um Mm -hmm. or like given some of those characters a a bit more brought them to the forefront and we could have like seen seen a little bit more like um let's say they're honesty or say that they have hearts as big as Marta because she's so clearly big hearted. I mean, she's physically unable to lie at some point. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. One Which of the defining characteristics. Yeah. 
it, of I guess we should have mentioned this at the beginning. Like part of one of the yeah. other kind of aspects is she is physically incapable of lying. Every time she lies, she throws up. And so that's kind of like yeah. played for laughs very early on, but it also becomes like a plot point later on as well. And also why yeah. Benoit, I'm, I'll refer to him as Benoit Blanc. I have to refer to him as his full yeah. name, you see. <laughs> oh, <laughs> trusts mm-hmm. her and makes him or her his Watson. Exactly. So it's like so morally clear and like kind of leading to this conclusion where Marta, as the committed big hearted nurse, like winds up with this massive fortune <laughs> and, mm-hmm. at the expense and all the, all the, um, terrible selfish family members are left with the scraps and mm-hmm. like had their devious plans revealed like yeah i understand that but i couldn't help but be reminded of parasite mm-hmm. a movie which i spotlit a few weeks ago um treading somewhat of the same like territory um the help like as is part of this like a uh, big rich family but they can't be found out in the case of knives out it's um the accidental uh, murder, or, or excuse me, the accidental death of the patriarch in Parasite. Mm-hmm. It's that they're all connected, and they fake their and they fake their credentials to get this these lucrative jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're kind I of. I mean, doing, I haven't seen Parasite yet, but also like yeah. no character is a true caricature, which these no <laughs> these people kind of are. Um, granted, they're they're given like a little nuance from their perspective i think that's my other major criticism about the movie uh obviously it's very uh, much of the time um a lot of the characters are uh, found debating our current president uh, and the current political situation and obviously it's playing with very um uh poignant recent news like for instance the immigration debate even though it's not really a debate (laughs) um whatever yeah (laughs) Well, yeah, so that's that's the other thing, too, I was a little bothered by, like, how contemporary Mm -hmm. it is, even though it's playing in a genre that's as old as Victorian times. Yeah, exactly. I kind of wish that the story was a little more timeless, because, you know, part of the, one of the problems inherent in the genre is you can really only appreciate it once, (laughs) because once you know all this, and not to say that this movie has no replay value, obviously it's it's whip smart, and, Mm -hmm. like, the screenplay is extremely tight, um, you you can only be surprised by it once, sadly. So yeah, and that's the thing. I uh, speaking of the limitations of the genre. Well, first the limitations of the movie in that it is so contemporary. Like I'm not sure how years later we're going to view the this kind of debate. Like whether it's going to happen in the same terms or we're going to use like, <laughs> um, the words alt right troll ever yeah. again. Like I don't know. <laughs> again, it just felt. Uh, and speaking of like not exactly compelling. Like that character is played by I think Jade and Martell, who's a a terrific young actor or whatever gets nothing to do no, yeah. and just be defined by his his terrible um terrible tendencies and he but, only gets like three lines maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and but also limitations of genre like even though it's it's much more compelling how marta is going to get out of this uh sticky situation that she's in we still have to have the laborious long explanation at the end mm-hmm. in which the character like has to has to go through the the completely intricate plot and all the setups and payoffs earlier and then we need a character to confess because we need to be unambiguous <laughs> in terms of like whether justice was served so of course the the culprit has to say of course i did yeah. and you know act out in a way just just like an episode of bones or <laughs> ncis or whatever or colombo <laughs> yes okay you're right i guess that's another more apt analogy but yeah, in spite of those limitations, it does set out to be a crowd pleaser, and it succeeds. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, again, know going in that it's not a traditional, like, kind of, like, uh, Victorian mystery, murder mystery. 
and but you will be i think highly entertained by as you said the intricacies um again the great performance um by the lead character i wish i, I don't even know her name it's it's a shame that um she kind of has to face off against all these like well-known actors like daniel craig michael shannon lakeith stanfield um because she's exceptional she's great no she's absolutely fantastic and, uh, uh, yeah. anna del armas armas yeah. yes yeah she absolutely owns the movie so mm-hmm. god bless her and god bless ryan johnson for bringing us a, a clever original vision yes. um yeah. Obviously, I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for uh, uh, horror and to death in, in Parasite. <laughs> well, I mean, and I guess that's the other reason. I, we're not trying to be wet blankets, but I do feel like this movie is getting heaped on a ton of praise because it's a success at the box office. And I think mm-hmm. it's one of the probably only original movie this year who has actually succeeded at the box office. Granted, it's playing a kind of well-worn genre, but sadly, a genre we really don't see that much anymore. So on the one hand, I do kind of want to like I I want to get excited for everyone like with everyone else too. It's like yes, the, like one of the good ones made it to the top, <laughs> but also like I do want people to appreciate. It. It's not a perfect movie, even though it is quite no. quite good. Yeah. It is quite good. It's many pleasures, but uh, I think somewhat simple pleasures mm-hmm. is the thing. And uh, whereas like a lot of other like award contenders this season offer like a lot of different things. Like this is this is more like a just like a good warm comfort food. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus Parasite, which has, has some has some bitterness with the sweet and all that. So, a more yeah. uh, full bodied meal, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> can I can I do my bit about uh, uh, critics and food? <laughs> <laughs> sure, do your bit. Because <laughs> I because I can't help but notice, especially when award season comes around, mm-hmm. um, a lot of movies do have plot points that center around food and a lot of critics say the same line you'll never look at this food item the same way again <laughs> um in the case of parasite it's it's um a peach uh they use a peach to uh give a character an allergic reaction no. i mean i even looked yeah, at peaches the same way since call me by your name but <laughs> i do yes except that, that that's another example um another one was a uh, phantom thread uh, which is a romance and uh, a huge argument is instigated by how one character prepares asparagus yeah. And again, critics braid like you'll never look at asparagus the same way again. Well, I'm I'm looking at you as an honest, red-blooded American. I still look at peaches and asparagus the same way wow. because I, yeah, because I appreciate that movies and reality are different things. What? And I love what? my food, and no, <laughs> yes, and I love my food, and no movie will ever color my impression of delicious mm, food. So okay. <laughs> that's all I have to that's all I have to conclude with. I'm trying to think: is there any kind of uh, uh, foodstuffs from Knives Out that kind of stand out besides those donuts? Actually, yes. Um, the people that I watched this movie with, we all wanted to go to the restaurant that's featured. Two characters get away from the house. It's one of the few scenes like taking place away from the house, and they go to this oh, yes. like uh, like kind of roadside pub, maybe a little bit like fancier than that. And um, mm-hmm. she has like beans and sausage on toast. Uh, that looks pretty right, good. That's right. Yes, yeah. a very yeah. yeah. I, I do. Uh, yes, that's the other thing I forgot to mention. Like this movie did make me feel very homesick because yeah. it's very New England. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. What, yeah. What, it's I, shot like, in, again. It's it's shot it's the details I love. Yeah. It's shot entirely and, in the Commonwealth uh, at mm-hmm. the fall. You know, it's gray. All the leaves are off the trees. <laughs> fog everywhere yep. it's the details i love and there's all the driving scenes you can see the inspection sticker right there at yeah. the bottom right hand corner <laughs> well john you, you say you love some details i did pick up mm-hmm. on one that i did not appreciate mm-hmm. um i believe it's the, either the fall or winter but uh in the sound editing we do hear the fake cry of a loon loons are summer birds all right it would have migrated mm. by then okay 
Somebody did not do, check their facts, okay? <laughs> I hope I hope a sound editor was fired over that blunder. <laughs> and also, I didn't see a single Dunkin' Donuts. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> was there any product placement in this movie? That's the other thing that's refreshing. Uh, probably. Probably. With, uh, do the cell phones count? Well, I guess that's also, yeah. like, those are important props because the idea is that the family's very wealthy, but Marta has a has a very cheap, like, moto Android phone with a cracked screen. Yes. <laughs> like, that's very, that's nice, uh, nice uh, kind of use of prop there. Mm-hmm. Same with um, I, the police are, are in, like, kind of big gleaming Ford uh, SUVs, <laughs> and she drives around a blue Hyundai Accent. I did not appreciate mm-hmm. them uh, deriding the Hyundai Accent as slow, okay? It's a fine car. It's a fine conveyance. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, Chris Evans gets to drive that Bentley around. Mm. Bentley, sexy John Beamer, you mean? Oh, sorry, Beamer. Yeah. Sorry. What what difference does it make? Uh, really, it honestly. makes a huge difference, John. <laughs> it's four wheels and a body. Come on, <laughs> that's all cars are. Yep. I'm surprised you haven't uh, extolled the virtues of Ford versus Ferrari yet, and Greg. I I know enough. I'm not a father yet, um, so <laughs> I know enough not to drag my fiance to that. So okay, yeah. all right. Greg Greg watches too much Top Gear, so obviously he's, mm-hmm. he's it's a not bit Top of a... Gear anymore. It's a it's the oh, Grand sorry, Tour. Oh, sorry, Grand Tour. Yes, yeah. and I do look forward to their Seaman special coming up this week. So, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> yeah. we Ugh. are children, and so we're on social media. Give us a mm-hmm. like on Facebook, a follow on Twitter, and a follow. It's a follow on Instagram, right? Yes, you okay. follow on Instagram. Yes, yes. sweet. So g- give us a, a follow on all those platforms if you enjoyed our, our witty witticisms here. Uh, you can also mm-hmm. see them on social media. Yes, and if you really want to do us a solid, the most important thing you can do for us mm-hmm. is go to your podcast service of choice, wherever you're listening to this episode, and give us a five-star review and subscribe, and that'll help more people find the show. Oh, what fun! <laughs> exactly. Uh, we do appreciate that five-star feedback. However, if you want to go even further, like, say, recommend a movie... Or mm-hmm. say, have a question, ask, pose us a question that we'll answer on air, or send us your feedback on American History X. How it's either the greatest or the worst movie of all time. Again, no nuance anymore. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> go ahead and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. And how? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we won't be needing any recommendations next week because we already know what we're watching next week. I thought we need to cleanse our palate of a movie with too many Nazis in it. Let's let's talk Jews, folks. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're continuing our '90s theme here. '98. Um, what a year at the movies, huh? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I was like 12. Um, but <laughs> we're going to be talking another film in the IMDb Top 250. Um, we're going to be filling out a little bit, and we're talking the Oscar-winning. Uh, Roberto uh, Benini uh, rocket ship off to stardom <laughs> and then it, like gravity's rainbow as they allude to in um, Knives Out we see him kind of crash back to earth in Aww. the Harvey Weinstein produced and released <laughs> um, Life is Beautiful <laughs> the v- uh, the I don't... <laughs> sometimes I'm like really proud of the way I do the schedule sometimes I'm really stupid yeah. <laughs> 
No, we will not be making any mention of that horrible monster in in the movie, in spite of his uh, having his tentacles around its uh, award season success. But uh, no, we'll be talking yeah. the film uh, on its own merits. Well, I mean, I just I feel bad because obviously one of my intentions is before we you know soldier off into the Christmas season, I like to do something that's at least a little Hanukkah adjacent, yeah. just to give our members of the tribe something to talk. But it always <laughs> ends up being a Holocaust drama, unfortunately, because that's a majority of what movies are about. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And John, instead, let's do a Woody Allen film. How about that, huh? Uh, <laughs> tug and collar. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. If we do find something more edifying that's not Fiddler on the Roof, uh, we will find it and we will explore it. Um, but okay. for now, it's uh, a life is beautiful. Uh, life is beautiful. So. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, it'll be a real mitzvah. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, Chayim. Uh, <laughs> That's horrible. I feel like we've done it. Yeah, Yeah, well. (laughs)